God morning, everybody. How y'all doing on this blessed God morning? All right, all right, we're going to catch on. Our greeting system going to catch on. We're in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11, we're starting at verse 1. When you get there, let us pray. Exodus 11, verse 1. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for your word and for your truth, Father God. Allow us to hear it, Father God, to understand it, God, and allow it to take root in our hearts. Build our faith and our trust in you and help us to know that you are God alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been journeying along and we didn't go through most of the plagues, most of the punishments that God had on the children of Israel. And we're on our way to the final one. But before we get there, we got to do what now? Do a little review. Do a little review. How did these children get into the land of Egypt? How did they get there? The Joseph man. <laughs> Joseph brought him in because of the famine. And how long did they have left when they came there for the famine to be over with? Anybody remember? And we ain't no church. We got about four different houses. <laughs> Ebony said five. Summer said five too. So you sandwiched in between two fives. Are you going to change your mind? How many years did they have left once they made it there? How many years of famine was left? Sticking with your fire. She's strong on fire. It was five. They had five years left. <laughs> they had five years of famine left, but now we're close to 400 years later. So they went on a five-year vacation. That end up spanning four generations. That's a long time. And in the midst of those four generations, pharaohs came and they left. The original 12 fathers then died. And now the people are under oppression. And then the target of this oppression was who? The men. The Israelite men was the target of this oppression. And they began to fulfill what promise that connected to our five blessed people. They multiplied and they filled the land. And the question that we came up with was, are we seeing now the true Adam in these descendants that we call the children of Israel? Because the promise given to Adam or the commission given to Adam to replenish the earth and multiply, we saw the same formula used of them in Exodus chapter 1. So are they the true son of God? The true Adam? It's the question that we have to wrestle with. Do Moses think that way? Is these people, are these people the true sons of God? Now, we ain't going to wrestle with that question now, but we're going to muddy the waters a little bit and we're going to put it in our pocket for later. It's some of y'all to meditate on when you're going. I'm, I'm going to read it, make sure I quote it right. I'm reading in Hebrews chapter 11. Yeah, that's where the water get mud at. Verse 23, I'm reading, it said, 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. We all remember that, right? They put their little boy in the basket, shipped him off in the water, and the writer of the Hebrews is saying they did that by faith. But he keep going. said, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, we all remember that. He went out to visit with his people. But now things starting to get a little funny. Said, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So now we see he doing a little funky thing with the Bible. Because what he refers to as the pleasures of sin is what? What y'all think he's talking about? Huh? I say he chose rather to be with his people than the pleasures of sin. What is the pleasures of sin? What sin did Moses have? We ain't read nothing about that. Being with the Egyptians. So he's equating the Egyptians and the bondage of the Egyptians with sin. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is doing. But it gets a little more strange. Now watch this. Said, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he re- had respect not unto the recompense of the reward. What reproaches of Christ? When we read about Christ in, in the whole story of the Exodus, what in the world is he talking about? That he esteemed the reproaches of Christ. When did Moses do that? Moses ain't even used the word anointed yet. (laughs) Say what? According to the writer of Hebrews, he did it by faith. On purpose. He said he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So in the writers of in the mind of the writer of the Hebrews, this whole ordeal of the Exodus and Moses giving up of his life of pleasure to be united with these people is somehow a faith act that's respecting Christ. What Jesus at? Got some on the tip of your tongue? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. We're gonna put that in the pocket now. We're gonna put that in the pocket. And we're gonna wrestle with that. Because the writer of the Hebrew might be on to something. Oh, he might not know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, he might be on to something. But the thing we're gonna keep in mind is that Moses somehow uniting with these people is somehow connected with him having faith in Christ and willing to be shamed for Christ. By being with these people. In Egypt, bondage is representative of what? Sin. Now this is a deep one right here, and it's going to springboard. Who remember the seven promises that God gave them before he started these plagues? (laughs) He gave them seven promises. I told y'all we're going to have to remember these seven promises so we can make sure God ain't like LeBron James. The, the seven I wills. You got them? Oh, you wrote them down in your Bible. Go ahead. What are they? Uh-huh. Land to possess. 
All right, got them seven. Where you find them seven at? Exodus chapter six. All right, we're going to keep going over those seven. How many of those seven have we seen fulfilled so far? None. All right, so we're going to keep coming back to them seven. But as we see these seven fulfilled, because if we take the thought of the writer of the Hebrews, Egypt is sin. Being with the people of God is somehow being with Christ. So deliverance from Egypt could be equated to what? Redemption or deliverance from sin. And if we see depicted here, we're going to see our own salvation depicted. And it's all connected to those seven things. If we can grasp hold of those seven things, we can see the whole story of our redemption being prophesied and lived out. Because sometimes God used history and type as prophecy. Y'all with me? So we're still looking for those seven things. We ain't seen number one yet. And now we've been going through these plagues. How many plagues have we seen? Nine of them. Who can recall? Blood. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Boys, that's one of them. Lights, flies, hell, that's six. Darkness. And what'd you say? Locusts. We up this eight. We ain't made that yet. Yeah, the disease of the cattle, the death of the cattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was two different things. Yeah, somebody said here. So we got them nine. Y'all got them? <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll do it again next week. <laughs> Have a, a Kit Kat for the... <laughs> I have a hundred grand if you (laughs) so let's pick up so we on plague number 10 the final plague now in this thing this plague is a little weird like I told you it's separated because it breaks the pattern we have warning warning no warning 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 no warning 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 no warning and now we got a warning but this warning is elaborate you got a whole chapter dedicated to the warning that's going to leave up to a whole law and ceremony. So this one is different, which means we have to pay attention to it. And what we left off at, Moses just got told by Pharaoh, you ain't going to see my face no more. Now, the problem that we have to erase from our mind is when we read that statement, especially with it being the end of the chapter, what you think happened after Moses said, you told the truth? Huh? No, what did Moses do? How many of y'all think like Summer? That she said he left. Pharaoh said, you ain't going to see my face no more. I don't want to see your face no more anyway. <laughs> and then he walks out. Sound like he would. That's a drop the mic type moment. Go to the next scene. You confused? All right, let's see how confused we're going to be. Verse 1 said, And Yahweh said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall utterly thrust you out hence altogether. Now, this is a pivotal verse. That set the scene. And I was going to talk about a little bit what we didn't talk about throughout other times. What is God's plan 
with Pharaoh. For him to know that he's God and for him to do what? Let the people go. Now, the question that always sticks in the back of my mind is God could have easily liberated them. Like he did with Paul and them in the prison. He ain't got to do nothing to the prison of God. He opened up things and let them walk out. Now, I wonder what God was when they walked out. Now, that was James and Peter. I mean, John and Peter. He just got them out of there. They walk around like God could have easily done that. But he gave a command to Pharaoh. And it seems to be his intentions that Pharaoh is going to obey his command. And God is setting up this whole scene, even in all these punishments and all these plagues. And at the end result, Pharaoh is going to do what I told him to do. And if you pay attention to that verse, God made that plain and clear. Like I'm going to plague him one more time. Then who going to let you go? He going to let you go. Who going to kick you out? He's going to kick you out. Pharaoh's going to utterly thrust you out. He said, I'm going to get him one more plague and he ain't going to be able to stop y'all. And then it's going to be time for y'all to leave. No, Pharaoh going to do what I told him to do. And it seemed to be something as you go through scriptures. God is a bit stubborn. When he wants something done, it seems like he's going to make sure he get it done. And even down to the point where we look at the world and every tongue going to bow and every, I mean, every knee going to bow and every tongue going to confess. All these people refusing to confess that Jesus is Lord and to bow down to him and to worship him. God going to make sure they do exactly what he told them to do. He didn't let thousands of years of history go by of people refusing to do what he said. But he said, when it's all said and done, everybody going to do what I told you to do. He a bit stubborn. He could just destroy people. It's like, y'all hard head, now you gonna get what you asked for. For some reason, he stick to his guns. I told you, let him go. You almost remind me of my dad a little bit. Like, you holding on to something, let it go. He's strong enough to just crush my little hand and make me drop, but sometimes he'll thump it and make me open up my hand. <laughs> Because I told you to do it. And that's what God got going on here with Pharaoh. He told him to let the people go. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart that he wouldn't let the people go? Both of them. So there was a stubbornness in Pharaoh to refuse to let the people go. And God continued to cultivate that same stubbornness that he already had. How many of y'all think that's wrong? That's a tricky question, man. You can't ask something that God do wrong. Preachers don't post the ass that. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, but it does more so to show the heart. Because what we have seen here is a revelation of the stubbornness and the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh that even in the face of all of his officers and everybody and everything that he put his trust in being broken, I ain't letting them go. In the time where even the cattle died, when he went, hey man, go down there and check. Uh, there was still something in the back of his mind that this ain't what they saying it is. And even up to the point where he cannot do any other thing but say that this is the hand of God, still ain't going to let them go. And there's a connection and there's a parallel and there's a danger of both judgment and punishment. One and the same. 
Because when you read the book of Thessalonians, it talks about the end times and people loving deception. And they're going to be deceiving one another in the last days. But then it also says that God going to give them over to a spirit of delusion that they may believe the lie. Like, hold up. God, why in the world would you do that? You want people to believe the truth. People don't want to believe the truth. So a part of my judgment is giving them the disposition of their heart to the fullness. So since they're deceiving one another and being deceived, I'm going to give them all the deception that they want. Who going to do it? God. That's judgment. Pharaoh is hardened. God has got a plan and he's going to do his plan. So he farther hardens the heart of Pharaoh because he that commits sin become a what? A slave to it. That's the danger of it that we take for granted in our day and in our age. Like sin is just mistake to us. Sin is bondage. And it is something that God hates. Where y'all seen the example of God hating sin? Kill everybody. (laughs) And did not relent. Showed no sign of regret. Like, man, I shouldn't have did it. I did a little too much. (laughs) And then we see. So God's plan is, who gonna let the people go? And how he gonna let them go? Thrust them out. He gonna kick them up out of there. With force, he gonna push them out of the land. And he says, speak now in the ears of the people. And let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. So this is God still talking to Moses. Let the people know that they need to go borrow some gold and some silver. Now this translation messes up a little bit. Because we were all brought up that if you ain't getting it back, you ain't what? Like how can you borrow someone you have no intentions of giving it back? But it's a cultural and it's an ethnic thing. Our ethnicity messes up in reading this. Because borrow could also be used, well, in olden times, I ain't talking about in Bible times, in early American, not American, in early Anglo times, to mean to take something, to remove or to dig something out. And if you want to be fun, just do a little study. You take this word in and you get your little Strong's your blue letter and you see all the other places that they use this word that we translate as borrow. Sometimes it's translated as ass. Sometimes it's translated as take. Sometimes it's translated as spoil, like they do in war. And sometimes it's translated as to dig or to pull up. So he's telling them, you go to your neighbors and ask them for jewels of gold and jewels of silver. Now, how many of y'all, but you, 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 you still Egyptian. Somebody knock up on your door. Like, hey, can I borrow some gold? How would you respond? <laughs> you got any silver you can give me? Any rubies, precious stones? Mm-hmm. Their response. And it sets the system up. Because this is a bad time. Because now you're at odds. And two nations are at war. So if you're giving them stuff. Silver, gold, rubies, precious things. What are you doing? You're aligning yourself to them. Are you putting them in a position to be greater than your own people? 
And it's also a recognition that well, maybe we ain't the best. So I'm going to switch teams. And it's this setup where for years these people have been forced to work in labor. Now they're getting paid, y'all. They're finna come up. And the way God put it to Moses when he first told him is this is spoiling the Egyptians. Y'all finna rob them. This is the end of war. And you taking the goods. And the crazy thing is, how many punches have any Israelite thrown? Name, name, name fight. But they finna destroy the greatest nation and take their stuff. I just imagine. I know I would have been like, man, uh, I saw you. Saw you had that big old silver candle in there. <laughs> Give me that one. <laughs> Dang, y'all ain't gonna get you now. You better, you better get it to me. <laughs> Where your mama at? Where your mama? Your dad had me out there working. He had that whip. I saw that whip. (laughs) Be going all the way to the other side. (laughs) So ain't no neighbor. (laughs) Ain't you that one that worked for Pharaoh? (laughs) Give me, give me your stuff. That I would have been. Because they finna set this whole thing up and finna spoil them. And it said, and the Lord gave the people favor. And this is a hint towards the question that Miss Pookie asked a little bit. Because that word that we translate as favor, that is also can be called beauty. And it said, the Lord made the people beautiful in the eyes of the Egyptians. He made them look towards them with some kindness, with some reverence. And they liked them. So God put the Israelites in a position where the pharaohs, I mean where the Egyptians looked favorably upon them. The whole status then changed. They done went from being an abomination to being hated to being beat down and oppressed. Now the people like them. They knew friends. Said moreover the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses rose to a status of prominence in the land. And it adds there in the sight of Pharaoh's folks. So the people who was a part of Pharaoh's court, the high officials of the land, they had respect for Moses. So it seems the only people left out that don't have respect for Moses is who? Pharaoh. Moses is the man. Israelites are cool. We like them. Everybody feels that way but Pharaoh. And Moses said, now Moses finna talk. Thus said the Lord about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt. So around midnight, who gonna go? Come on now, let's pay attention. So who gonna go? The Lord is gonna go where? In the midst of Egypt. Mist is the what? The middle of it. So Yahweh is coming to where? Egypt. Y'all think he physically coming? How many people think he physically coming? Uh, he's just speaking metaphorically about his presence moving through the land. Like presence? Huh? That the same thing? You don't think the same thing? 
And so, not physically, just a presence of a moving of something. That's what we think. A spirit. All right, so we confused. We don't know. And all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the, born of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. So this is what's going to happen. Yahweh coming at midnight in some way, form, or fashion. And when he show up, all the firstborn from the greatest in the kingdom all the way down to an animal. Going to die. This is the final plague. The death of the firstborn. And just let that sit in your mind for a minute. Who is orchestrating this? God. And this means a lot of people going to die. This is the God that we serve. Who going to create a plan to judge people. And a part of his judgment is death. How many of y'all think God has changed? Y'all? Nah, he changed his ways. He don't get down like that no more. Like God showed today, like that the old me. <laughs> y'all bringing up old stuff. I did that 6,000 years ago. <laughs> that ain't me no more. <laughs> okay, that sounds crazy. <laughs> saying there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there was none like it nor shall be like it anymore now this is a beautiful play on words which y'all think is a throwback to let's see who's been paying attention no not exactly but that is a good one not the none like it part it's one key word the cry come on Oh, no, you're going back too far. Just in the context of this story in this book. Huh? Say it again. The book opens up with the cry of the children of the Israel. Because of what? Because of the affliction and the oppression that they was under. So you made them cry. Now God is saying, I'm going to make you cry. They cry came to me. Your cry going to be great. And it's going to be like no other cry that was in all of the land. That, that, that is. But that's a little bit deeper than the eye for an eye. Golly. <laughs> but not necessarily. Because a part of the oppression was what? Killing the babies. Slaughtering them soon as they were born. Throwing them in the river when they, when they was infants. This was a part of the whole system. And now we come to the death of the firstborn. God get this thing and he going to even the scales. And he going to balance it all the way out. You made them cry, so I'm going to make y'all cry. You killed their children, I'm going to kill your children. Now we need to understand when Paul said we don't repay evil for evil because vengeance is whose? You ain't got to fight for yourself. You ain't got to try to make things equal. 
And that's all the way across the board. Cause we understand that when people do you wrong, I'm saying they, they scrap my car so I'm finna flat they tie. We all know you don't supposed to do that. Yo, that, that said, I thought, I, I, I'll pause a little bit. I hope we know what he's supposed to do. <laughs> okay, uh, you ain't supposed to do that. <laughs> but even on the subtle, when people mistreat you, and you try to make them feel bad because you felt bad and you cut them off. You ignore them. Give them the silent treatment. Cold shoulder. All that type stuff. Huh? You call it what you want to. As long as you ain't repaying evil for evil. <laughs> I used to drink Kool-Aid out of pickle jar. You put whatever label you want to on it. I know what it was. <laughs> Call it what you want. <laughs> you call it what you want to. Like I said, you drink Kool-Aid out of pickle jar. As long as you know what it is. <laughs> that between you and the Lord. It said, but against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So the firstborn of the Egyptians, they're going to die. The children of Israel said a dog ain't going to wag his tongue or growl at them. That's a big stark difference. That's why death going to be ravishing y'all. Ain't nobody going to even look at them menacing. A dog ain't going to even bark at them. That's a big difference. Now we have a problem though. Y'all picked up on the problem? Alright, that's your question. What made an Egyptian an Egyptian? Being from Egypt, a part of the descendants of Mizraim. What made the Israelites Israelites? Chasing their lineage back to Jacob? That seems to be pretty obvious. So according to y'all understanding, the firstborn going to die where? In Egypt. To all the people who are the descendants of Mizraim. And no bad thing is going to happen to who? Anybody that's an Israelite who can define their descendancy from Jacob. Now let's see does that hold up. Saying, all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, get thee out. And all the people that follow thee, after that will I go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. So this is Moses finishing up his speech. Who was he talking to this whole time? Pharaoh. So with that last little thing where Pharaoh said, you ain't going to see my face no more. He didn't leave. He stood there. And that first opening three verses, God was talking to him while he was well. In the midst of Pharaoh. God gave him these instructions right there in Pharaoh's palace. And Moses began to speak them right there in the presence of Pharaoh. And Moses leaves out angry. Why y'all think you mad? (laughs) And this seems to be a little odd. But I like that they put this in here. That Moses was mad. He was upset once he gave the declaration of God. But this shows us something about the man of God. 
He wasn't just a cold, distant party. Who's that? Well, I'm just doing what God told me to do. Y'all take it however y'all take it. That there was emotion and there was real life flowing through him because he just gave a death sentence to a whole nation of children. And the whole thing he knows and understands is the stubbornness of this one man who I'm talking to who refused to do what God told him to do. So now everybody's about to die. And that brought some real emotion out of Moses. And y'all know Moses got a bad temper. Yeah. (laughs) And there's heat and there's passion in that. And this should be something that's instructive to us. That when we're dealing with people and we're dealing with the hardness of people and the stubbornness of people, it should impact us. We should never be able to deal with folks even when they're being judged and even when they're being mean and low down to us, just cold. There should be some kind of impact in you, on you. And the crazy thing is, wasn't nothing bad about to happen to Moses, but he was still upset. And this teaches us something about anger, our righteous anger. Because anger is a response or an emotional reaction to a perceived injustice. And it shows you your chief concern when you ask yourself, why are you angry? If most of the time you're angry because you think somebody did you wrong, that shows you who is the center of your life and your attention. Because anger is just a reaction. You think something wrong is taking place here. And Moses is upset. People are about to die. And you too hard head to listen. And he rages out of there. Infuriated. Have some heart. Have a heart. Be compassionate. And as he leaves. said Yahweh said unto Moses. Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. That my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And that's the end of this whole scenario. God told him, Pharaoh ain't going to listen. And he's not going to listen because my wonders, all the great works that I've done, going to be amped up, multiplied, increased in this land of Egypt. And then we get this little summary statement as a transition and a close. That Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And this is a summary of the punishment and the oppression. And we're about to go into a transition, but we yet to see what? The tenth plague. So it shows you that this tenth plague stand alone. And it's something different. So all of these nine things were done and executed in the presence of Pharaoh. He still wouldn't let the people go. And God's wonder is about to be multiplied. In Egypt. God's going to show out. And he's going to show out. On the behalf of the Israelites. Via. The Egyptians. And now we get this whole little thing. And it's set up. And this is a crazy little chapter. We're going to walk through it. We're going to make it through the whole thing. But we're going to get to the basis of the plague. And what we have here. Is the institution of an event. And a ceremony. Being bound into one. And we have to keep those two things separate in our mind. But it also creates some questions for us in our modern time. Because there's a lot of y'all deep folks out there who want to be deep 
and, and connect with the Hebrew heritage, which ain't nothing wrong with that because Christianity is a Hebrew religion, if you want to call it that. So to connect with those roots, ain't nothing wrong with that. But a problem arises is well, most of the time when people try to connect with them roots, they don't connect with them roots. They connect with tradition. The very things that Jesus hated. And we're going to keep pick on a little bit of that as we go through this. And what we're looking for is the institution of an event and the institution of a ceremony or a festival. All both connected right here in this passage. And you're going to go back and forth. And we got to be able to differentiate between the two. Y'all ready? Saying, the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Alright, so now he's establishing a calendar. So the first month of the year is this month. Y'all got that? Who said that? The Lord said that. So this month is the first month of the year. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So we're getting them set up. These are the instructions. Some of the first laws we're running up on. So everybody get a lamb, a lamb according to a house. And the house is according to the heads, or the, the fathers, the elders ones, the bearded ones. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for a lamb. Alright, so these are the instructions. Each house get a lamb. If it's too few of y'all to eat one lamb, you connect with your neighbor next door. And y'all parse it up that way. So y'all track it. So you unite. And what the goal is to get one lamb for a house. It almost remind me of that dude that came to church that time. Where he um talking about what it was, like a hundred dollars or twenty dollars. Like if you ain't got it yourself, go to your neighbor. <laughs> if you got two dollars, find somebody with thirty-eight dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's where he get it from. That's a lie. <laughs> and so God is setting this whole thing up. If you are big, you need to separate a lamb so that everybody in the house can eat. How many people can be greedy? Can you be greedy? If it's a lot of y'all, about 12 of y'all up in there, and you got one lamb, can, can daddy get the big piece? Say so, yeah, cause he daddy. And mama fix his plate first. <laughs> I started so. <laughs> but you got this separation going on. Can you be nitty? If you got somebody next door who you know don't have a lamb. What are you supposed to do? Share it with them. How should you share it? A little deeper than that, evenly. Because everybody's supposed to eat it with. As a household. 
So when you connect with that person, do you cut your lamb in half and send it over there? No. It's one household. So the person you help becomes a part of your household. That don't vibe with our ethnicity. <laughs> but that's the system that he's setting up. This is the event. You get a lamb. If you know somebody who won't got a lamb or your lamb too big for you, you connect with somebody else and y'all live for this night as a household. You eat it together. So your lamb shall be without blemish. So nothing wrong with this lamb. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So you got a male lamb without a blemish, one years old. This is what you're supposed to get. Huh? You can get either one of them. You can get a goat too. If you ain't got no lamb, get you a goat. <laughs> it, man, if you from Lochipoca, you get a goat. <laughs> That's how we utilize it nowadays. I'm going to remember that one day. She was saying it's a baby, I mean a lady is a lamb. That's grown, but as far as how they're using it, it's the baby. Lamb, goat, ram, get you one. But you need to get a male of one years old. How many blemishes can it have? Not one. What if you like that goat? Oh, sheep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if that's your favorite one? What if it's just new? You just got it. It's just been born. Your kids play with it all the time. <laughs> yeah, they hold it and hug it. Your little two-year-old get out there and jump on the back of it. You try to put the pick through it. You know what I'm saying? Get the Afro pick, stick it in there. You take a picture. <laughs> you still kill it? You make your children sad? Alright. Y'all some mean parents. I don't want to be y'all chill. Kill my favorite goat. And you shall keep it unto the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So you get it on the what day? The 10th day. You keep it until the 14th day, and then everybody, as an assembly, the whole congregation, the whole church, kill it. On what day? On the 14th day. They kill what? The lamb. Y'all saw a problem with the grammar in that? It's just one lamb. But who all supposed to have a lamb? So what we killing? Okay, what you got? What version that is? Hell yeah, they cheat. Yeah, they broke it down for you. <laughs> Any SB, you want to say what? Okay. Well, we're going to keep playing with that though. And they shall take of the blood 
and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat. So the house that you're going to eat the lamb in, after you kill the lamb, you take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorpost. So you put it on three spots on the door. You go into that house and that's where you eat the lamb. So if you're sharing a lamb with somebody, whoever house you're eating at, that's the house that you apply the blood at. Are y'all with me? And the whole congregation supposed to kill it on the what day? 14th day. At what time? And they shall eat the flesh in that night and roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. So that's their meal. You kill the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, you roast the lamb, you get you some unleavened bread, flatbread, crackers, or whatever you want to call it, and some bitter herbs. Do that sound delicious? It does? Alright, we at a church. Some folks say yeah. Some folks say uh-uh. You ain't with that. Huh? You say you need some salt? <laughs> Bitter herbs. So y'all got it. It's the three-piece meal. What's three-piece? Uh-huh. Herbs, lamb, and crackers. Flatbread of some kind. <laughs> and he gives father instructions. Say, eat not of it raw. So you don't just hurry up and just, just start pulling pieces off that thing. Nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire. His head with his legs with the pertinence thereof. So it has to be what? Has to be whole and it has to be cooked. How? Roast it. You can't boil or broil it. He giving these some detailed instructions. And you got the whole thing with all the other stuff on the inside of there. You don't pull no legs off. The whole thing. You roast the whole lamb or the whole goat under a fire. God's very specific about his instructions. How many of y'all think he's like, man, I don't mean like that. You know what I'm saying? He keep getting more details. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remained of it unto the morning, you shall burn with fire. So how many leftovers could they keep? So you have to try to weigh this thing out. You get just enough lamb for you and your household. And that includes if you include your neighbor as your household. If some way, somehow, y'all don't eat it all, burn it. How should they burn it? Completely. Because how much it should remain in the morning to the morning? None of it. So you slaughter it on one day. You cook it and you consume it all on that same day. None of it should remain. And you do this with bitter herbs and flatbread. That's a meal. And it might be your kid's favorite kid. And what if you got a little kid that, I don't want to eat that. 
<laughs> and said, and thus shall you eat with your lawns girded. Now he's giving them how they need to dress for this meal. So this is how you prepare the meal. This is when you eat the meal. Now how you dress for the meal. Thus shall you eat it with your loins, loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So you get fully dressed. Put your shoes on. Your staff in your hand. And eat. Hurry up. So you don't sit there and savor this meal. So you might get a little indigestion. (laughs) Does this sound like a pleasant meal? Yeah, hurry up. You can't kick your shoes off. What if the daddy just got off work right when it's time to kill it? And he had to come, slaughter the thing, give it to his wife, and while she preparing it, he got to spread the blood on the thing. Then he got to get the kids dressed. And he ain't had time to take his shoes off yet. <laughs> he got to leave his shoes on, have his staff in his hand. And how you eat? A fad with one hand holding a staff. Like, do you wrap that thing around and hold it like this? How literally do you take these instructions? Now, the men, how many of y'all think it'd be like, well, he just meant to have a staff nearby and just lay it next to you? Cause that hand means near. Anybody would be willing to take that gamble after all you'd have seen. <laughs> but they dress like they ready to what? Yeah. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So who going to pass through? Yahweh. Who going to smite? So Yahweh is coming through. Yahweh is going to smite. Now this, 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 getting a little heavy. And he got this strange expression he throwing there. Because he going to execute his judgments against who? All the gods of Egypt. Now, the problem with this, uh, that makes it present a problem, when is he going to do this? That same night. Now, well, why is it a problem? Because I asked y'all a couple weeks ago, how many of y'all think them plagues were on accident? Like God was just randomly picking stuff. Like frogs. I think that'll be cool. <laughs> Put a frog down now. Hailstorm. Ain't did one of them in a minute. <laughs> Let's just throw some hail down now. 
they got too many cows anyway. We can disease the cows. It's like God just randomly doing stuff. Like you playing Yahtzee up in heaven. <laughs> so rolling the dice. Huh? He said, one well, relative to the Egyptian gods. It seems to be. And a lot of people take that off this passage right here. What he said, I'm going to execute judgment against who? All the gods of Egypt. So if they had a god of the Nile, which they did, once he judged the Nile, that seemed like he executed against the god of Egypt. If they had a sacred cow that was a god, which they did, and he killed all the cows, that seemed like he executed judgments against them. When they have what the god Geb, who got the head of a frog, and he got frogs everywhere, he piled them up dead, that means he's showing that I can kill this god. That seems to match, right? And so on and so forth. He block out the sun. Ra's supposed to be the greatest of the gods. That seems like he executing judgment on them. And I do believe that. God didn't do this stuff by happenstance and accident. But what he's referring to here is not that. What he's referring to here is the people. All the gods of Egypt is what he will execute judgment against. Not what he already done. He just showed out on all them already. Because y'all got your little snake. You put on all your little thing. My snake ate your snake. And so on and so forth. You got your God of healings. I put balls all over your body and couldn't nobody get healed. He showed out. And he triumphed over them. But what he's talking about is he going to triumph over all these people who esteem themselves to be the authorities in this land of Egypt. So the gods of Egypt, here is a reference to the authority of the land, which will include who? Pharaoh and all of his magistrates. That's who he's going to execute judgment on. Are y'all tracking with me? So did he punish the fake and false gods of Egypt? Yeah. He went against everything they believed. He broke them all the way down. But who was the focus of his punishments? Not the gods, them fake things that they believed in, them demonic spirits that they worship, but the gods, the people. And that's the whole goal and that's the whole focus of God. So in this cosmic battle of him going against Ra, he wasn't going, he ain't caring about no Ra. Who he cares about? The people. And his whole focus is who? The people. God is doing cosmic battle over the people. And he's about to execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Pharaoh who called himself the embodiment of God, the son of God, the true image of God. Is about to be demonstrated to be powerless. Because God is about to execute judgment on him. And he keeps going in this thing. What am I? Verse 13. It said, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. So that blood that you put on it is going to be for what? Token, a sign, a symbol, a mark. Something that makes you stand out. When I see the blood, when who see the blood? 
Because who coming? So Yahweh coming. Yahweh judgment. Yahweh is passing through the land. Yahweh going to see the blood. And who going to pass over? Yahweh will pass over. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now that's where the problem come in at. Because the only people who get protected are the people where? Who are in the house that's covered by the blood. I thought he said ain't no dog going to wag his tongue against an Israelite. Uh oh, now you're getting deep. What if I wasn't an Israelite? And I submitted myself to this Passover. Do I get the same protection? Because what is, what was it, what was his statement? And it said, blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And he's setting up something here. This lamb, this Passover, and the outpouring of this blood is the thing that makes you a true Israelite. And what protects you from judgment is not your lineage or your heritage, but your acceptance in your alignment with this blood, this lamb. Because you can have the right lineage and still fall under judgment. Death still would have come to your door. But the only way you stay yourself from death is by applying the blood. And he's setting up something here. And he's ripping them while he's protecting them all at the same time. Because if you focus on this and you meditate, it should create a grid for you. God still judges. Who all is he judging? Everybody. But he's pouring his judgment out on Egypt. And if you live like Egypt, you get judged like Egypt. Because Egypt was the people who did not get this ritual explained to them. They did not get this offer of grace extended to them. So if you live like Egypt, you get judged like Egypt. How many of y'all think God still do that? But I, I, I walked down that aisle and I sat in one of them two chairs. Y'all, how many of y'all think that exempts you from judgment to come? I'm saying, because I know the creed in the Westminster Confession, Baptist Confession, the Dutch Confession, and all the mother confessions. The Nicene Creed, Apostolic Creed, and I know when to say, yeah. Do you believe in the Virgin Murphy? I know when to say, uh huh. But if you can uh uh-huh at the right places and still live like Egypt, do you get judged like Egypt? Because uh uh-huh don't save nobody. To be able to say, I believe in the saints' communion, that don't save anybody. Go ahead. Yeah, we're going to let it sit until we make it to the end. Then we'll we'll ask it. Go ahead. Or if you have, if one of them people is your neighbor, that's a possibility. 
But we know that these instructions are being given to who? Israel. Specifically now Moses and Aaron. So that's who getting these instructions. Moses and Aaron. And their job is to tell the people. What people will they go to? The Israelites. So we're going we're gonna to pocket that for a minute. Would the blood have saved an Egyptian? And this day shall be unto you for a memorial and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So all this thing that I just explained to you, this day, what day he's talking about? This 14th day or this first day of the first year, of the, I mean, of the first month of the year, this going to be a memorial to you. So this is the initiation of the feast of Passover. So what we saw was the event that night. And now he's telling you that event is going to become a festival or a feast or an ordinance for how long? Forever. So you're setting up this perpetual feast always for you. And it's something that's going to be a sign, something that's going to create a, m- a memory, something you hold on to. Then he goes on in this feast and explaining it to them. Says seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day shall you put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. That's deep. And this is a part of this feast of Passover. If you're found with leaven or if you're eating leaven from day one up until the seventh day of this feast, say you cut off from Israel. Go ahead. Huh? Yes, yeast, leaven, yeah. You know why these either flatbread or crackers. How you gonna think about it? Eat your pita. <laughs> and in the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And in the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done on, of you. So, yeah, seven days. Of eating what? Unleavened bread. And then you got two holy convocations. Two mass gatherings. Two church services. This is around. And this is setting up the feast. Seven days eating no leavened bread. Two, two big church services. Two revivals. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this self-same day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. He brought his, they what? Armies. He keeps saying that word. They just some slaves. But he's saying I brought your what now? Where they get an army from? Therefore you shall observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. So this day, this is the first festival we've seen set up. And they supposed to Hold this festival as an ordinance, as a law, as a statue, as a principle to be guided by. For how long? Forever. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leaven in all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. 
So he's telling this unleavened bread thing begin to take over this feast. So you eat this unleavened bread for seven days. How many people have to eat it? Everybody. What happens if you don't eat it? You cut off. So the heritage of Israel, you're no longer a part of it if you eat leavened bread during the time of this feast or this festival. And he adds in there, the stranger who is with you, they shall what? They're going to eat unleavened bread. If they don't eat it, they're going to be what? Like, hold on. They ain't got no part in Israel. How are they going to be cut off? They're strangers. They're foreigners. So that shows you that there's some open door in the mind of God for somebody who's not, quote unquote, Israel to be a part of Israel. Here at the foundation of the nation. Because foreigners are included in this ritual that sets up the feast of all feasts. This open, there ain't no other festival so far. And this is the event that marks their deliverance and them coming out as a nation. And foreigners are included in this. We still let that sit in the pocket for a minute. So then Moses called all the who? Elders of Israel. So God told it to Moses and now Moses is about to tell it to who? The elders of Israel. So if you're an Egyptian, how could you get this knowledge? You got to start hanging around. Them, them Israelite people. Like, God, I saw your husband going out to the meeting. <laughs> what Moses talking about? <laughs> what, what else been happening? Yeah. <laughs> and so he calling them out. They having his assembly. Said, draw out and take your lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. So now he's giving them an instruction. So you take your lamb according to your families and you kill the what? The Passover. So now this thing that God is going to do is becoming a thing. Because what is the Passover? Huh? Huh? That's what he said. This is the Lord's Passover because he's going to pass over you. But now he's telling them to eat the Passover. I mean, kill the Passover. What is the Passover then? The lamb. Yeah. So the Passover became synonymous with the sacrificed lamb. So it moves from an action to now is a noun. It's a thing. Y'all thought that was a 21st century thing. And so the Passover is the lamb that they're supposed to kill. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop you like these herbs and things, though. And dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. Further instructions. So you get some hyssop. How many of y'all ever ate hyssop before? Huh? You don't eat it? You don't make no tea out of it? It's for cleaning. Man, them ancient folk told me it was for medicine. Okay. You can't make no tea out of it. I'm pretty, I don't want no none of them other bitter herbs he talking. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So you get the hyssop, dip it in the blood, strike it on the post. How many of y'all think that was messy? Could y'all imagine Prince out there with a, with a basin of a, a lamb blood, dipping it and, and splatting it on the... <laughs> Huh? So he probably like that. Like, <laughs> come on, Jada, can you see it? <laughs> you you see the blood? <laughs> you think that's enough? Because <laughs> I like, dude, how do you slang that? Because it's lamb blood, and you you smacking it on now. You getting all on your face? Then you using a plant to do it. How you paint with a plant? But I'm saying, how you paint with a plant? Just smack it on there to do the little brush strokes, like when they used to feather paint the houses back in the day. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice, purges, and healing, medicine. So you take the hyssop, apply the blood, and you go in the house, and you stay in the house for how long? What if your kids want to go outside and play? (laughs) But notice what this forces, though, if you think about it. I just imagine the family context. You're doing something that's never been done before. And this is odd. You're taking blood, I mean, lamb blood, and smearing it on the house. Now, how many times they probably whooped children for spilling stuff all over the house? And now you smearing it on your house. What questions does that produce? Yeah, he's like, what you doing? Mama, no, uh, you making a mess. Now, mama, dad out there throwing blood on the door. <laughs> you get all these type questions. And then you come in the house, you get everybody dressed, and you sit down and you tell them to hurry up and eat. That produces what? questions and you have to sit there knowing that death is coming so how many of y'all gonna fall asleep <laughs> except in how much of that lamb you had to eat <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it creates a whole lot of dynamics when you think about yourself being in that position cause what if the night is starting to fall and you still see Jay out there painting. <laughs> you didn't already y'all start eating. And you look through the window. <laughs> still out there paint. Do you run out? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you have it? I do you tell her, put that hyssop down, come over here, why? Go get your wife. <laughs> yeah, that's why you tell him, come on, come on, man. 
Come on. It, it creates all these dynamics. But what it does for the family, it forces conversation. And it also forces you to be a family. Because y'all locked in. You up, you anxious. I don't care how much faith you tell much you got. You ain't never seen this before. And you've been seeing stuff dying everywhere. So in the back of your mind, you like, okay, everything will be cool. But he done told you specifically, if you ain't got that blood on her, firstborn gonna die. And you wondering, hold up, did I put enough blood? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, whoa, what, was I sure? Was that the most unblemished one? I did that other one. Hold on now, dog. Like, was that dirt? Or was that, <laughs> or was that a spot? Like, <laughs> I know the mess up the back of my head. I'll be out there. And then you got children. What we doing? And y'all locked in. You zoned in. And it forces conversation. And it creates a situation where you have to talk to your children. You have to explain to them what's going on. It puts you at odd. But it forces you. And it gives you a picture of family because he said it's set up. This is to be a memorial for you throughout all of your generation. And the only way you keep a memorial going is to what? To pass it on. And it takes the heads and the originals to continue it to go. So God is setting this whole thing up that forces families to have to do what? Talk and communicate to explain with their children. Because if you never have it, things get lost. Because everything leaks. And through time, pieces and aspects of it get lost. And the only way you can keep it pure is if you keep the conversation going. But especially in that night, you high strong, you anxious, you were, everything is high and you hurrying up. And you got to deal with children at the same time. You got to talk. You got to be calm. Huh? Yeah. It said, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. Who going to pass through? Who going to smite? And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. Like, hold up. Who going to smite? Hold on, man. So who going to smite? The destroyer going to smite. But at the beginning of the verse, who's going to smite? So who's going to smite? Could Yahweh be the destroyer? So why he talk about the destroyer as if it's somebody other than him? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the question. It's a part of him. But terrible is actually a good word. <laughs> then the destroyer is an evil one who come. So him and the destroyer are going to be walking through the streets. <laughs> like, get down. Like, hold up. Nah, don't touch them. So who is this destroyer? Is this destroyer somebody with God? Is it his God? But what we know for a certain, Yahweh is going where? In the midst of the land. 
Yahweh is the one that's going to smite. Yahweh is the one that's going to kill the firstborn. And he's the one that's going to pass over. But he's also going to be the one that's going to not allow the destroyer to destroy. So the destroyer and Yahweh are working hand in hand. Are they the same? Are they different? You don't like it? Now, right, how you want it better translate? Mm-hmm. It does. But bad stuff. Bad stuff. It ain't no stuff coming. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Subjected to. So you think it's destroyed as an evil person here? Uh, evil spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they didn't do the judgment. They took Lot out, and it said Yahweh rained fire from Yahweh out of heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. So it was two Yahwehs there. Huh? Yeah, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. All right, we're going to pocket that one. It's going to come back up, even with that expression of destroy. So, number one thing we know, who doing the killing? Yahweh. Yahweh doing all the killing. He killing everybody who don't got the blood. Say, you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you according as he has promised that you shall keep this service. So this is another reinstating of the thing as a promise, as a festival. So when you get to the land, this gonna be a festival for you. You shall keep it. And it's connected with them getting to the land. And shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? So your children gonna ask, What y'all doing? That you shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshiped. So they having a part of their instructions for this command is to train who? The children. So a part of God's whole plan of redemption is the training of who? Y'all think God changed? So as God bring you out and do stuff in your life, you need to explain it to who? When you should start explaining it to him. <laughs> yeah, so explain it to him. Y'all with your children, explain it to your children. And they can understand. That you shall say, it is, oh, well, verse 28, and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. So they bowed down, they worshiped, and they obeyed. That seems to be reasonable. We take these last couple to end it off. Saying it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now the crazy thing is, we be singing all these songs late in the midnight hour. The Lord gonna turn it around. This is our first introduction of the midnight hour. <laughs> you turn around, all right? <laughs> so God showed up at midnight and smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle, from the greatest all the way down to the animals. 
And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was what? A great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. He killed him, Joseph. Everybody wake up in the middle of the night crying. Because their firstborn dead. That's deep. And you just think about that. Just being a parent and waking up and seeing your child dead. Said he called. Who did the call? Nope, Pharaoh. Called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise up, get you forth from among my people. Now, you notice what happened because they were supposed to eat it dressed how? Shoes on, staff in your hand, fully clothed, loins girded, ready to go. And you think like, we finna eat this thing at night and you tell us don't come out till the morning. Pharaoh wake up in the middle of the night and say, y'all better get out. Because God said how he was going to put them out, thrust them out. You know, well, y'all start getting your stuff together. So y'all, no, get out. Said both you and the children of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said. And also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And he had this thing and bless me also. So y'all get out and bless me. Because you hear, you see pain, sorrow, grief, anger, all bottled up in one. He hate Moses, but he respect him all at the same time. He upset about the death of his son, but he also in heavy mourning about the death of his son. And he needs some comfort. And all of his gods and all of his magicians have been defeated. And the only person he know that got any power is Moses. So y'all get out, but bless me before you go. And that's still crazy. Because one thing he still is yet to do is say, take me with you. Introduce me to this Yahweh. So even in his brokenness, in his pain, he's still stubborn. And it's possible to be sorrowful and not be repentant. Because he's sad. He feel bad. But he ain't repented at all. And that's the danger of it. Somebody asked that question in, uh, I think Wednesday night Bible study. That, that thought and that idea, that idea, the theology that the Christian life is a life marked by repentance. And you put that in people's minds. So if you live a life of repentance, that's a sign to you that you saved. To me, it's a sign to you that you bad. Because that's what I call the little children who keep doing stuff their mama tell them not to. And they go and say, I'm sorry, I ain't going to do it no more. Mama knock them around, then they go right back and do it. They tell that child, bad. So if you're a Christian and your life is marked by repentance, you're bad. Especially when you keep repenting of the same thing. You're bad. You might feel bad, but you act bad too. That's a whole other subject. Somebody stop being bad. <laughs> And also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people. So these are the regular people in the land. They're what now? Urgent. That means they're pressing up against them. Like go get out. That they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said we be all dead men. And the people took their dope before it was eleven. So somebody had some bread baking in the oven. And they just snatched it out. (laughs) 
So they hurry up. Their kneading troughs being bound up with their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they, they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. So they hurrying up. It's in the middle of the night. They leaving. Like I said, mama getting her bread ready for her biscuits in the morning. She dip, leave the biscuits in the burn. They pulling all their stuff out. So you got groceries still left in the cabinet, grain still left in the basins, and they just snatching stuff and they're leaving and people are pressing them to go. This is not a, a, a take your time, pack all your boxes effort. It grab what you can, get what you can and get out. And how many of y'all would be trying to get all your stuff? you like, hold up, hold up, I'm coming, Moses. Let me, I got to pack one more box. <laughs> but they're, they're being rushed out. No time to pack, no time to get ready, because they spent the day doing what? Preparing for the meal and the sacrifice and getting the house ready. Then they spent the night eating and in anticipation of the death angel. They thought they had until the morning, but now this is night and it's time to go. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. We're going to pause right there just to get that introduction about them getting kicked out. So they left. They gone. Got all this stuff to spoil the Egyptians in their haste. And they went into this land of Succoth. And it says about how many? Huh? That's a whole lot of people. That's just the men. So it's about 600,000 of men that's not counting or besides or along with women and children. So you got a good little bit. Because if half the men were married, that take you up to what? That take you about nine hundred thousand, almost a million people. And if they had children, that push on up even further. So this ain't just no small band moving through the desert. This is a whole nation. And now you can see why Pharaoh was talking about these folks are great. And they can join our enemies and take off. If they count, can count 600,000 men. But also think about what Moses had to put up with. Cause you moving 600,000 at a minimum through the desert. Ladies and babies and all. And you got animals and shepherds and all that stuff, young and old. How many of y'all think this is a nice, beautiful journey that we're being prepared for? Because, don't raise your hand out loud and tell on yourself, but how many of you have been on trips with your family? And you only going four hours. <laughs> And y'all get to arguing about the radio. <laughs> Somebody laying their head on you. <laughs> the 
snack. Who put the snacks in the trunk? <laughs> they started our road. Y'all ain't made it. Noah. <laughs> Everybody, man. <laughs> Why you got them cheeses back down? Now, what's it that make put cheese in the trunk? <laughs> Baby, you just left the bag. You said, all oh, these going to the trunk. Now, you should know. That <laughs> it's at five of y'all. <laughs> now, imagine 600,000 of y'all going on that trip. With no cheese. Oh, Lord. That, that takes up a lot of space. And that's a headache. And Moses got called to the duty because he was blessed. How many of y'all want to be blessed? <laughs> and he, 80 years old, starting his journey, a lead, 600,000 at a minimum, that's just men besides women and children, through the desert. To a place he don't know nothing about. Because none of them have never even been to Canaan. Because they've been in Egypt 400 years. So they probably don't even know none of their ancestors who remember a time where Jacob lived in Canaan. How many of y'all want to be blessed? You want to be blessed? Bless, you might have to walk through the desert as an 80 year old man and the leader of 600,000 people. How many y'all think that his um, nonprofit status were going up and he got a chance to go to all these different type of meetings and, and hobnob and get flow across the country? And y'all, <laughs> y'all want to be blessed? Because does it seem great to be blessed? Okay, all right, as long as y'all ain't changed. But this is the setup for the transition in God's most pivotal moment. So how many of them seven I wills we can see? We got them from under bondage. They ain't under bondage no more. Oh, good. Oh, man, that's a deep question right there. He ain't said it yet. <laughs> So we brought them out from under the burden, delivered them from their service. Uh oh, have you redeemed them yet? Uh huh. All right, that's what we're gonna wrestle with going into this next part. Anybody got any questions?